Genesis 33.1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, uh, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted his eyes. He lifted his eyes and he saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother, my, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, and inasmuch, or inasmuch as I have seen your face, as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey, let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me, and if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go ahead of before his servants. I will lead on slowly at a pace, and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of the Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padam, Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched the tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it Al Eloe Israel. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Well, the title of the sermon is Two Brothers Almost Fight. And you can get a sense of the drama in Jacob's heart when he sees that Esau has come not to assault them with these 400 men, but he's come happily to greet him. They left under the most negative of circumstances with Esau, with Jacob afraid for his life from his brother having, having cheated his brother out of his birthright twice. 
by the deception. When his father was dying, he obtained the final blessing from Isaac, his father. Esau really grieved that he had been despoiled of this birthright. Now, we know that Esau had not done this out of a great righteousness or love for God, but simply uh, out of his ego and his, his, uh, his egocentrism, centrism, his desire to be number one and to be, have received that honor from his father. But nonetheless, uh, Jacob had cheated his brother and he had done that knowingly. And now, after 20 years apart, imagine that, 20 years apart. Remember, he had worked seven years for Leah and seven years for Rachel, and then he'd worked uh, six more years uh, for his father-in-law Laban uh, so that they could, um, so that he could obtain blessing for him and also for his own flocks. And we see that God had built him up mightily. He'd become a relatively wealthy man because God would bless the sheep, bless the, the lambs, and all, all that, that enter that whole uh, enterprise of husbandry there where he was growing his flocks. But now 20 years has passed and he begs off from Laban. He begs off and he would now return to his homeland because he realizes that he is a chosen one of God. He realizes the central role that his family have had to play with God's redemption, with the redemption of Jehovah that has come down to earth. And he realizes that his faith doesn't totally understand it yet, but he's seen that his family is central to this dramatic bringing about of redemption to the people of this world. Ultimately, it would lead to the birth of Jesus Christ, who would be a one of the sons, the distant sons of Jacob in this case. And so these two brothers, uh, he comes back and he he uh, he hears that that Esau has a, uh, an armed group of four hundred men that is coming with him. And you remember all of the prefatory scriptures that we've had in this passage, where he decided that he would say he would divide he would uh, divide up his flocks and uh, the, the the mules and the donkeys and the all of the the, the sheep and the uh, all of the parts of his herds, that he would divide that up into different parts for gifts to Esau. And he would drive them ahead. And there were there were three sets of these gifts. And he hoped he told each set of servants, uh, deliver these into the hand of Esau. Tell him how, uh, how happy we are to see him and that uh, how sorry I am for, uh, for my sin against him. And so that's all gone in scriptures before here. But here, this is the day when, when Esau and he come together. And so he find, when he sees the men again coming, these armed men, he's, he's terrified. We see how he, when, he, when Esau comes and falls upon him and hugs him, how, how Jacob is just emotionally undone. He, he cries. The Both of them cried together uh, that, that they had... Uh, that they had this reunion. But uh, Jacob was utterly terrified of the fact that, that uh, everyone might be destroyed. And so when he finds out that Esau is there and he, these 400 men, uh, he again makes further plans. He's already given him three waves of gifts. 
three waves of petition that he might, uh, that his rage might be assuaged. Now he divides up the, the final company that he's got, and he puts uh, the servants first that are with him, the servants that are closest to him. Uh, he puts uh, Leah first and her children, and then finally he puts uh, Rachel and, and uh, Joseph, Benjamin and her children, um, uh, in that final lot where, where he will be. Because, he, in other words, he, 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 all, each of these people, he hopes if there is an armed struggle, that there will be something left, something left in terms of those who live through the struggle, the fight. And so, and, and uh, because Rachel has always been more special to him and, and Joseph, they are the last and uh, then himself. And so um, we see here that Jacob sincerely humbles himself. That's the first point of the message. Jacob sincerely humbles himself in these first three verses. We see here we have a great lesson on repentance. A great lesson on repentance. We are so prone today. We hear that repentance is a biblical word. We read, we read that it's something that ought to be done in our own hearts before the Lord. But do we not take repentance way too lightly? You know, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, I got my copy here this morning. There are in the in the Westminster Confession, there are thirty-three chapters. In other words, thirty-three subjects that are deemed utterly essential, or were deemed utterly essential uh, by the Puritan Church in the 1600s, utterly essential for the betterment of the church. And one of those chapters, believe it or not, is given over to repentance. It's called Repentance Unto Life. And I would, I would guess that if we put up a, 10 titles of the 10, 10 different chapters for you to pick, uh, which ones really belong in the Westminster Confessions and which ones don't, I would, I would wager that many of us would miss the fact that there was a chapter entitled Repentance Unto Life. Let me read just a little bit of this, because what we see here with Jacob, we see Jacob really being repentant. He really, even though even though he was right in so many ways about the things that he'd done, he'd done them in the wrong way. And instead of waiting for God and his blessing, he tried to seize the blessings of God by the strength of his own hand. And he came at this point, 20 years later after leaving, he comes and he you can see that the Spirit of God has been working on his heart for all this time. Well, the divines wrote, Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a gospel grace. The doctrine whereof, whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. Well, we hear many sermons about faith in Christ. How many sermons do we hear about repentance unto life? Not as many. The divine thought that they should be somewhat equivalent. By it, that is by this doctrine, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins. Filthiness and odiousness of his sins. You see, the divines, they did not have a lightweight gospel. They didn't have a mini gospel. 
They understood, if you, unless you understand the filthiness and the odiousness of your sins, you won't really appreciate the gospel for what it is. You won't really appreciate Christ for what he is. You'll take him lightly. We've had a case of this in our own presbytery over the last two years uh, in, the, in the situation of the molestation in one of our churches and the way the, the ordained men reacted to that. So the divines went on to say, uh, uh, but also the filthiness and odiousness of, of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent. So grieves for, in other words, if you have repentance unto life, you grieve for and hate uh, his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all thy ways uh, of his commandments. It says, although repentance unto life may not be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause for pardon thereof, in other words, in and of itself, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Now consider that, that none may accept pardon without it. And its scriptural proof is uh, uh, Luke 13.3, among another of scripture, other scriptures, where God tells us in the Gospel of Luke, I tell you, no, or nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You see, the scripture in no uncertain terms says that repentance is a necessity for salvation. If you don't really repent, then you can say, I believe in Jesus Christ all day long, but you are not really perceiving, rightly perceiving or apprehending Christ. You don't understand how much you need him. Uh, So Luke says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's verse 3. And then two verses later in verse 5, it says again, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Uh, Acts 17.30 says, and the times of his ignorance, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Verse thirty-one, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, meaning Christ, that whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him up from the dead. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we do not understand the wages of sin, if we don't understand how we are worthy of death, then how can we be worthy of life? Well, we see this uh, exemplified here in the life of Jacob. He comes back to, uh, to receive to receive and develop the inheritance that the Lord has put before him, that his father Isaac has so developed. But he knows as he, as he comes back that there is a great impediment in his arrival back in Israel because he cheated his brother. He, he, the good thing that he did was that he valued the blessing of Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites. So he did that right. But what he didn't do, he didn't trust God to bring this about unless he took a hand in it. 
And so he cheated his brother. And as he came, as he returned to Israel, the, the sin in his life grew, grew larger and larger. Some people will say, well, you know, if you've sinned in the past, just turn to Christ and get over it. Forget your sin. But this was not Jacob's way. He could not. He, he, he knew that he had to uh, repent before his brother Esau. And we know that Esau was a reprobate in many ways. We know that he was not as worthy as Jacob in many ways. But all Jacob could see was his sin against Esau. Oh, when we when we sin, how often we are to argue for this and argue for that about how our sins are not as bad as someone else's. But when David was afflicted with the condemnation by Nathan, the prophet of his sin, in Psalm 51, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. All he could see was his sin. He wasn't bothered by other people's sins. They were not able to minimize his sin. But his sin against Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah, her husband, was so significant that it blotted out the sun for the psalmist. And so he cried out for God. So it was with the publican in the temple whom Jesus pointed to, contrary to the Pharisees, and the public, he said, see the publican in the temple. He was beating his breast. God, forgive me for my sin. And Jesus said, that man is close to God. That man understands something about his sin. And so it was here, Jacob humbles himself in all the, all the things that he did to quiet the wrath of Esau. And then in verse 4, we see how God was with him, both in the conjuring up of the sorrow and also the conjuring up of grace, the grace that fell upon uh, Esau's heart and then fell, uh, fell out on uh, Jacob. We see in verse 4 that when they came together, Esau, uh, Jacob Jacob was afraid that Esau would have a blade or a knife that he would, or, or a hatchet or some other weapon of assault. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. The two brothers wept together. Now Esau is not a type of Christ in his flesh, but this is certainly an illustration of the forgiveness and the grace of God in Christ. Because we deserve all of the things that Jacob feared. We deserve them. And when, when we come near to Christ, instead of raising his hand of judgment upon us, he wraps up us in his arms. And he weeps over us in the fact that we are able to be uh, united with him in his grace. And so we see here how God was working in the mind and the heart of Esau to accomplish things that Jacob almost couldn't hope for. And this is such a picture of the gospel that we, we, we should not pass by it without appreciating the wonder of this reconciliation that they had. Uh, but now... At the, at the point of reconciliation, we learn a further lesson from this text. There are those that, that, that believe that Christianity is just about reconciliation. 
and um, that it has no zeal to hold its own positions or to guard its own inheritance. And what we find here in part three is that Esau, Esau, the Esau came with with uh, much forgiveness in his heart, and that that was a blessing. But Esau also attempted here a total assimilation of Jacob, Jacob and his people with Esau and his people. Now we know that as Esau's life developed. He created a totally separate people other than the Israelites. The Edomites, the, the enemies of Israel, those people that afflicted Israel for generations afterwards, if you trace back where they came from, the Edomites came from uh, Esau. And they're sometimes called Seirites, S-E-I-R-ites, because Esau settled at Mount Seir. That was the... That was the, the, the family head of the that, that nation as it came to be developed. And so um, Esau did not have spiritual enlightenment. Esau did not see the beauty of Jehovah God. He did not see how important the living God was. He enjoyed some of its privileges as he grew as one of Isaac's sons. But he did not understand the great, the vast, the, uh, the the necessary significance of it. And because his heart was not in love with the Lord, you know, the, uh, Jesus tells us the, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. But this was not Esau's. Esau loved himself ultimately. He loved his stomach. He loved to run and develop the, as a hunter out in the woods. He loved the, he loved the creation, but not because it came from God's hand. He, he loved it because he enjoyed it. And it was a challenge to him. Much like some football player that's playing today might enjoy the, the NFL today because he can exalt in the strength that God gave him. But he's not really honoring the Lord. He's not living his life for God. He's not seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. He's got other things that are in first place. And so Esau here, you notice what happens. And you, if you read through this, you probably don't realize what's happening here. But in verse 12, Esau said, let us take our journey, meaning together, let us go and I will go before you. He's, he's taking, he wants to take them back to Mount Seir, where uh, the Edomites are, where, well, the people of Esau are living. But uh Verse 13, Jacob says to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, that the flocks and the herds are nursing there are with me, and if the men should drive them too hard, the people the flocks will die. Please let me let my Lord go ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock uh, can, uh, can endure, that go before me and the children uh, until I come to my Lord in Seir. And he saw, uh, well, let me just explain that. You see, if you're reading through here, you see all of a sudden, it's not explained, but there's a reluctance on the part of Jacob to go with Esau in the way that Esau would like. Esau wants them to be, now that they're reconciled, Esau wants them to be one people. And Jacob knows that while the reconciliation is wonderful, the, the reconciliation is transcendental. It's redemptive. And yet, 
despite their redemption, Jacob knows that, they, that they're going to be moving on two different paths. The book of Romans, God says, Esau, have I, uh, Jacob, have I loved? But Esau, have I hated? There was not a spiritual desire, a spiritual dynamo, dynamism that was driving Esau. And at this point, Esau wants to almost, he wants to become the Lord of the, of the fellowship here. He wants them to assimilate. Now, the, the lesson here is that we today, brothers and sisters, as Christians in this world, we want to be agents of redemption to our neighbors and to our friends. And sometimes when we, when we show them our love, they falsely, they falsely think that we are one with them, that, that our goals are the same, that there is no a world and life few differences between the two of us. And we need to remember the story and apply it to our lives, that we're all for redemption, but we still have a higher calling. We still have higher purposes. Our purpose is to build the church of Christ. And if they want to desecrate the Lord's day and to move in different directions, they can smile and laugh and hug us all they want. But there are two different motivations here. And from this point out, we see that Jacob is motivated to get to Succoth and then to Shechem in the land of Israel, even as Esau's motivation is to get back to Seir, Mount Seir, which is outside of Israel, which is outside the land that God gave the Israelites. And so there's the a, almost a perfect prefigurement here of the city of God and the city of man. And Jacob is moving toward the city of God. Esau is moving toward the city of man. We run into this, brothers and sisters, everywhere we go in this world. We run into it in terms of our uh, our labor, our vocations, our occupations. We we it, it takes place in terms of our neighbors and our friendships with people. We want to be as loving as we can. The Bible says, "Do all do good to all men," but then it says, "But especially those of the household of faith." You see, in the Bible, there's always this understanding that there's a higher way, that there uh, there's a religious devotion that we must give ourselves over to. And here we see that Jacob is, uh, is sensitive to that. Esau said, Esau's second uh, effort at this, he says in verse 15, now let me leave you, leave with you some of the people that are with me. And Jacob, Jacob very kindly, very nicely, says, no, it's all right. You know, <laughs> let us do our, let us go our own way. And, uh, and uh, so, it says that Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house there and made booths, and, um, and then ultimately he moved on to Shechem in verse 18, the city of Shechem, uh, which is part of the land of Canaan, uh, where he uh, resumed uh, a life with his father Isaac. And uh, it says in verse 20, when he gets to Shechem, he erects an altar there and called it El Eloi Israel which in Hebrew means the, the, the Lord God or the, 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 uh, the Lord God is God of Israel. Um, Eloi comes from the term Elohim in Hebrew, which, which is the plural word for gods. So some, some nefarious exegetes have argued that, that this means that, that Israel was never monotheistic, but they were, they were really plural plural 
polytheists too, like the, all of the neighbors around them. But uh, this plurality of, the, it really means the Lord of Lords or the God, the God of Gods, Elohim. It's a, it, it sounds like a simple plural, but it means of, of, all the, of all the gods, God is the Lord of all the gods, the Lord of Lords or the, the God of Gods. And so in this case, uh, God is, it means God is the Lord of Israel. El, which is short, a short form for Elohim, is the, the, the God of Israel. And uh, Jacob represents Israel. And so at the very end of this passage about the reconciliation about the brothers, we get this very strong theological statement that shows that Jacob understood that he had to remain theologically pure, which is not just a case of a certain theological doctrines. It has to do with his inner devotion, the devotion of his heart. Christianity uh, is made up of Christian doctrines like uh, repentance of the life that we read about in the Catechism, the Confession. It's made up of doctrines, but at the heart of our Christianity is our love of God. Our love of God is tangent to or co connected to the doctrines, but it is the thing that drives the doctrines. We believe in repentance unto life because we love the Lord. We, we believe in faith and, and the necessities of faith and justification by faith alone. We believe in that the doctrine, but we believe in that doctrine because we know the Lord. We have felt our sin. We have felt an existential sense of our sin, the awful nature of our sin. And uh, like the like the divine said, we have uh, we have uh, uh, we have felt the odiousness and the filthiness of our sins, and so we have run to Christ. We've run to Christ, and we've clung to Christ, and we've felt his arms clinging to us. And in that great relationship, we have our eternal security. So, brothers and sisters, let's remember this day when two brothers almost fought, and all the wonderment that God brought out of that occasion, how he worked things out for his people, and he raised them up. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our Lord, we thank thee that the brothers did not fight on this day. It looked like they were going to fight. It looked like there was going to be a, a mini slaughter. But thou didst work it out, O Lord, according to thine own good pleasure. We pray that thou wouldst do this for us in our lives. Help us to be as faithful as Jacob. Help us to, uh, to see <clears throat> the specter of our own sin, even as we see the wonderment of Christ, and help us to flee to that wonderment uh, because of the specter. Bless us now today with this Lord's Day. Cleanse us from all of our sin. Radiate thy love upon us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.